guys are so polite and generous, uh, clapping for someone who hasn't done anything. Uh, you are here. Good choice. Um, welcome to day two of the 2018 Kuiper Lectures. Uh, I gave you a full introduction yesterday, so I won't go through all of that uh, again. Um, I will say that we're really delighted to have uh, Dr. Matthew Kamink, who is Assistant Professor of Christian Ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary and also the Associate Dean of Fuller's campus in Houston, Texas, here with us. Um, I hope you left yesterday's chapel convinced, at least with regard to the question of Muslim immigration, uh, that the binary options that are presented to us uh, in our culture, either uh, high walls or open doors, uh, may not be the only options. And in fact, um, there might be a better option or a third way that we as Christians ought to be pursuing uh, with regard to this question. Um, and I hope you left hungry, uh, it seems like it, based on how many of you are here today, to, to know, well, what is that third option? What might that look like? And how do we, as Christians, uh, become involved in uh, presenting to the world a third way? So I won't take any more of his time. Would you please welcome back Dr. Matthew Kaming. Uh, before I do, uh, I want to express my deep thanks to all of you for your hospitality, for your warmth, for your questions. Um, I have had a tremendous time here at Covenant College and uh, am very thankful for this community, this institution. And uh, so I wanted to start just by saying thank you very much. Um, Pastors always struggle when to put uh, announcements into their sermons. I'm going to start off with a few announcements, and then we'll get into this thing. All right. Um, I want to say that uh, I, I come here representing Fuller Seminary, uh, but also the Center for Public Justice, which is a tremendous institution that I just wanted to uh, point you to as a thoughtful Christian organization in Washington, D.C., which advocates for rich religious freedom, not only for Christian institutions, but for all um, religions. And it does so out of a conviction um, that this is something that the gospel of Jesus Christ requires. So it is a wonderful Christian political advocacy group in Washington, D.C. that I encourage you to check out. And specifically for college students who are interested in these issues, they run a blog called Shared Justice, and there they publish uh, opinion articles and reflections from uh, Christian college students who are wrestling with different kinds of political issues, not just Muslim immigration, but trying to think about these issues. And so I want to encourage you to follow Shared Justice on social media, to read their stuff, but even more so to think about uh, writing for them sometimes. Uh, they work with college students and sort of coaching them in their own writing and their own voice. And uh, when I was in college, uh, I started by writing opinion articles in our local newspaper, in our student newspaper. And um, I learned a lot from expressing irresponsible opinions when I was a sophomore. <laughs> so it's wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity. So check out Shared Justice. Um, and then finally, uh, you can obviously check out my book. Um, there's a wonderful organization called World Relief, which works with churches and Christians in 
uh, housing and hosting uh, refugee families and in advocating uh, for refugee rights and hospitality in Washington, D.C. Um, they're a great organization to follow on social media if you would like to advocate for the rights of refugees. Um, you can study these issues at Fuller Seminary. We have an Islamic studies program for Christians in missions and uh, development and outreach and advocacy. And then finally, um, you can connect with me on Twitter. Um, it's a wonderful place to express your uh, disagreement with something I've said, you know, uh, or uh, whatnot, but it's a, it's a great place. That's one way to connect with me. So, end of announcements. Let's get back to our talk. <clears throat> so, yesterday we were discussing uh, this, the bankruptcy of walls and doors, sort of the politics of high walls and the politics of open doors, that a healthy home is not just a home with walls and, and doors that open, but it's, it's a home with a table that people come around. And the purpose of a home is not its walls. The purpose of its home is its table, right? That is what a home exists for, the flourishing of conversation and relationship and discussion of a table. And the politics of walls, the politics of doors, can't help us sit down at the table together. And we desperately need to learn how to sit down at the table with deep, deep difference. And in our case today, it's our Muslim neighbors. So we need a third way. We don't need, uh, one student asked if this was sort of a moderate position between high walls and open doors. It's not. This is an alternative third way of thinking about the whole issue. I want to call this table politics. It's a focus not on the walls, not on the doors, but on the table, on what happens around there. And specifically, what I want to do is think about this table through the lens of Holy Week, of Jesus, of Jesus' final days, which we are remembering this week. The church is taking us through the final days of Christ's life in Jerusalem. And I want to put Jesus right at the center of how we think about this. Not at the periphery, not at the end, but Christ, as we say here at Covenant, Christ is preeminent, right? He is the origin, essence, and end of what we do. The origin, essence, and end of our politics. So I started with talking about Abraham Kuyper, that, that Christ is king, that he has this crown, that Christ alone is king over time and space. Christ alone is king over the nation. And so we must release our desire to control the nation. We must release our desire to control history because Christ is king and his crown must be honored. That is Abraham Kuyper's chief central contribution to political theology and Christian political ethics. And it's a beautiful one, and it's one that I love. However, Christ is more than just a powerful king on a throne. Christ is a healer. Christ is a friend. Christ is a priest, a sacrifice. Christ is a liberator. Christ is so much more and so what we want to do today is add to that kingship, explore other aspects of Christ's kingship beyond his sovereign power. 
And to do that, I'm going to draw on three other reformed theologians. And I will tell you their names really quickly, but you don't need to look these guys up. I mean, you can. They're wonderful. But uh, it is uh, Hermann Bovink, Klaus Skilder, and Hans Borsma. And each of these uh, men fill out or flesh out other aspects of Christ's life and wrestle with it. Hermann Bovink specifically is quite helpful because he argues that every aspect of Christ's life has public implications for us. Everything that Christ did and said has meaning for our public lives. It's not just for our private lives. So the act of humbly washing his disciples' feet, we often think about that as, oh, I need to be humbly uh, a servant to the individuals that I meet. That's true, but that also has political implications, right? I need to engage politically with a posture of humility. I need to engage politically with a posture of service, of vulnerability. Bobbing said you can't privatize different parts of Christ's life and say only this part is public. Christ is Lord over all of life and all of Christ is Lord over all of life. So we need to explore the public implications of all of Holy Week today. That Holy Week is not just a story of how Christ showed hospitality for your individual heart or soul, but it's Christ's hospitality for the whole world, for the marketplace, for the political sphere, for the arts and media. So, I want to isolate three specific things that happen during Holy Week and think about uh, three specific things that Christ does and think about the implications of that for this issue of Muslim immigration. Okay? First thing I want to jump on is Christ's encounter with the priest's slave on the Mount of Olives. He's been praying and a horde of soldiers and servants uh, of the priests, of the high priests, have come to arrest him. They have clubs, they have swords, they have torches. There's a great deal of yelling. There's a skirmish that breaks out between the disciples and between the soldiers and the servants and slaves of the high priest. Uh, I don't know about you, but this skirmish in the night that is confused and fearful and aggressive sounds an awful lot like our political environment today. Someone is wounded often in these fights and in this fight as well. A lowly slave of the high priest, we're told his name is Malchus. He is caught up in the fray and he's injured. How does Christ respond to this chaos? How does he respond to the fear, the darkness, the aggression? He reaches out an unarmed hand in vulnerability. And he models for both the Romans and the Jews how a true king behaves. A true king does two things. Heals brokenness and liberates the slave 
he notices the slave. He notices his pain. In this very moment that he is being bound and taken away, his eye is not just on the weak. His eye is on the aggressor. And he reaches out and heals. How might that be a model for our political posture in these fights about Muslim immigration? I had a number of students ask me for public policy advice yesterday. And my response to them was, I'm a theologian. It's my job to ask you questions. <laughs> it's your job to figure this out. If I tell you that Christ is the Lord of every aspect of your life, including your political life, my question is, what, is, what are the implications of Christ's act of healing Malchus for you in a time of fear and violence and enmity. The Naked King. Klaus Gilder. Uh, in what, I, I, I could never have imagined this, but he preached. Uh, it, it's a 20-page sermon on the nakedness of Christ on the cross. It was Roman ritual to embarrass, not only kill the criminal, but to embarrass them, to strip them naked at their crucifixion and to expose them, and more than that, to expose the power of Rome over their empire to uh, destroy whoever would stand up against Rome, to strip them naked. Klaus Skilder grabs onto this and asks, what does this mean for us? He says, this is for those who love and worship and seek to honor Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This might be the most horrific thing to ponder, the nakedness of our God, the exposure and indignity of our God. There's a number of songs, Christian songs, that talk about how all of us, not just, the, not just the three Roman soldiers who divided up his clothes, but all of us somehow participate in the crucifixion of Jesus. All of us participate in the taking of his clothes. That we exposed him, that we stripped him that we're responsible for that and we have to live with that. And it's sort of a dark, grim, intense thing to ponder. And Klaus Skilder was kind of a dark, intense guy. He's doing this stuff, by the way, during World War II and he's resisting the Nazis in the Netherlands. So he was an intense dude. Um, what does that have to do with Muslim immigration? I'll tell you. We in the West place a lot of things on Islam a lot of stereotypes on our Muslim neighbors who we've never met. And we imagine that we uh, expose the true Islam, that we're capable of exposing. Remember the film director that I talked about, right? He stripped those Muslim women naked and said, this is Islam. It is violent. It is patriarchal. It is evil. I know the true Islam, and I have exposed it. 
Here on the cross, Klaus Gilder says, the soldiers imagined that they had exposed Jesus as a failure. Skilder says that they were wrong. Skilder says that on the cross, Jesus exposed us. Exposed us at all of humanity as capable of violence. All of humanity as having gone astray. All of us are capable of hurting one another. And for those of us who are participating in Holy Week this week, and believe that it's real, not simply for our private lives, but our public lives, emerging out of Holy Week, right, after Good Friday, I cannot stand before my Muslim neighbor and say, I've got it all together, and you need to be more like me. If I have looked upon the naked cross and realized how I've participated in violence, how I have participated in evil, how I am in deep, deep need of grace, I enter into these discussions of Muslim immigration with a different posture. That I serve a naked king, and I come before my fellow citizens with a posture of vulnerability once again. I stand by grace, not by works. A political posture that takes the naked cross seriously is one of humility. One that reckons weakly with our brokenness and our need for Jesus. That we know that the first thing that God did for us when we sinned in the Garden of Eden was clothe us. He clothed us. Right? We disobeyed him and he immediately gave us grace. And what's the last thing we do to him? We take his clothes from him. Now that's grim. <laughs> and Skilder says, blessed be his name. Jesus did not leave us shivering and naked on the floor. But once again, he clothed us in righteousness. He clothed us in grace. And we stand before our Muslim neighbors, not as those who have clothed themselves, but who have been clothed like my, my three-year-old son. The guy just can't figure out his pant legs. He just can't do it. We do not clothe ourselves. We have been clothed. And that must mark our political posture towards those who are different from us. Not just Muslims, right? Those of different races, those of different socioeconomic classes, uh, those of different uh, sexual orientations or political positions. We deal with deep, deep differences, and those differences and disagreements matter. But the way we engage those differences as people who stand by grace, not by their own works. Amen? Last one. Oh, I'm doing good on time. Okay. It's important to understand the role of the table and eating in the Holy Week narrative. 
that the table is what truly matters to Jesus. Not only before his death and resurrection, but after. Isn't it interesting and really amazing that after the most cataclysmic event in the history of the universe, Jesus decides to celebrate with friends at a table at Emmaus and on a beach over breakfast. The end of the cross is hospitality. The end of the cross is communion. It's community. It's relationship. The cross does not end with the justification, right? The purpose of the cross is deeper than the justification of our sins. It is, we are justified so that relationship is possible. It is that beach, the breakfast on the beach with friends. It is for that, that community of the Trinity being reunited and being reunited with humanity. It is for the hospitable home. It is making space for others. And it is quite common for me to be asked, uh, and it's, honestly, it's a bit depressing when it happens, but um, when someone says, why should we Christians uh, show hospitality and freedom and rights to Muslims when they don't do it for us in other countries? Why should we do it for them when they don't do it for us? The hospitality demonstrated on the cross is a hospitality towards enemies. A hospitality that was unearned. For Christ, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It is not for the love, the world so loved God that he sent his only son. God didn't look down on the earth and said, look at how much they love me. I think I'll send my son. It was an unearned hospitality. Those arms up there on the cross, they are open. But that hospitality does not come without a cost. Those hands are wounded. The hospitality that we're talking about in table politics requires real sacrifice. The politics of high walls calls for someone else's sacrifice, right? Open doors, there's no language of sacrifice. In the gospel, we have a picture of hospitality with nail-scarred hands that takes the deep, deep challenges of difference seriously and the costs of it seriously. And on the cross, we have a political vision of sacrificial citizenship, of making space for difference that is sometimes dangerous and difficult. So Holy Week has consequences. It has public consequences. It has a ripple effect. During these lectures, you've seen that picture of the boat coming ashore in Greece 
Syrian refugees by the thousands coming across in whatever craft they have trying to find safety and freedom. This is an image. Have any of you seen this image before? This is an image of a church in London. And an installation artist wanted to ready their people for Christmas. And the artist was, was charged with helping their people understand the significance of Christmas. And what she did was she took 700 pieces of clothing from refugees on that island and she suspended them above the congregation. And so if you are going to celebrate Christmas in this church, if you're going to truly take it seriously, if you're going to sing those songs and pray for peace on earth, you've got that refugee story right above you. That refugee clothing, children, babies' clothes right above you. Imagine, if you will, singing the song, they will know we are Christians by our love. With that hanging over your head. Holy Week, this liturgical mountaintop in the Christian year, it has consequences not simply for our private lives, but our public posture towards difference. And friends, I, I'm, de I'm deeply thankful for my time here. Uh, but I'm going to leave you with, leave you with this. Um, if we do not demonstrate hospitality, deep hospitality, hospitality that is open to this sacrifice, if we don't demonstrate that hospitality towards others, towards those we might fear or those we might disagree with, then we are denying the hospitality that was shown to us during Holy Week. The table we eat at, it has consequences. We are disparaging. <laughs> if we're not going to show hospitality to others, we are disparaging the cross that made space for us. And the good news of Holy Week, the good news is that when they felt alone as they were walking to Emmaus, when they felt this was too hard, when they felt this is a failure, Christ walked with them. Christ shows up. And that is his promise to us. That Christ promises not necessarily to give us the answers, the exact, the exact th things to say, the exact things to do. But Christ promises to meet us in those moments and be with us, Emmanuel. That is the good news of Holy Week. That it is by his power and it is by his grace that we are able to live that cross for others. Amen. Let's pray. God, for your clothing of us, 
for your grace for us, for the space you make for us when we are still far off, when we fall short, when we say the wrong thing. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son to model for us that deep love. But more than model, God, we thank you for walking with us, for going before us, for coming behind us, for standing beside us. God, I pray for all the students here in this room as they go on into vocations and science and business and education and medicine and law and engineering and construction. God, we, I just pray that they would be ambassadors of your peace that you would fill them with a redemptive imagination for the pain in the places where they have been called. That they would honor your cross. They would honor the hospitality that you have shown to them. And that those that see them, that work with them, that know them, would be haunted by a beautiful hospitality, a beautiful space that they have created. So God, we offer ourselves to you today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much.